Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is David Tapley. He's the frontman in a band from Dublin called Tandem Felix who have just released their long-awaited debut album Romcom. David seemed a little bit unsure of when exactly Tandem Felix had started, but uh, safe to say that this album has been a long time in the making. I don't quite know when exactly I first heard of Tandem Felix or when I first saw Tandem Felix, but I know that Keelan and Ashling in Cork, they run Quarter Block Party, have been booking Tandem Felix for a long number of years, so chances are it was through them that I came across Tandem Felix first. I really enjoyed their EP Comma in 2015. The opening track on that, Nothing I Do Will Ever Be Good Enough, is, well, it's good enough for me. And Were You There When They Crucified the Birthday Boy was one of my favorite songs of 2017. It was nominated for the Choice Prize Song of the Year. We won't talk about the band that won that year. Please, let's not talk about the band that won that year and now we finally got this debut album rom-com i've been playing it uh, a lot and i've been talking about it with a lot of people just saying you've got to listen to this album i think it's great i think uh mother Teresa, the butcher of albania part one there is a part two that follows straight away uh is probably my favorite track of the 10 i also love over yonder maybe the, let's get a taster of that now. This is Over Yonder by Tandem Felix. A lot of people tell me they don't believe me. Where are you coming from? And what is it that you see? I tell them over yonder there is a dancer. Over there is the queen. Tandem Felix have a couple of gigs coming up if you're uh, interested and in the right cities for them. They're playing the Kino in Cork on November 14th. They're playing Belfast's Ulster Sports Club on November 16th. That's with Arborist. And they're going to be playing Bellobar in Dublin on November 21st. I can't wait to see them. Uh, I can't wait to hear what these songs sound like live. So let's get into it. This is uh, David Tapley on the Point of Everything podcast chatting about Tandem Felix's debut album, Romcom. Congratulations on the debut Tandem Felix album. I guess it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming, yeah. I was only thinking about this yesterday, that I want someone to ask me on Thursday, how's the music going? So I can say, we're releasing an album in seven days which I felt like I was never going to be able to say for so long we've I think we've been working on this album since 2015 and for so long people are asking me how is how are you still at the music or whatever and I kind of have to tell them there's an album but there's just like nothing to show and now there's something to show which is an absolutely amazing relief like ripping off a plaster or taking off maybe taking off a cast after you've broken your arm or something finally get to do that and show everyone my gross hairy arm oh so like starting a band is like um like you're in a full body cast or something like that (laughs) and every release you know you're finally you're losing a little bit of your uh of your 
with plaster cast, yeah. And now I'm going to go out and break all my bones all over again and start album number two, maybe. Like, is that genuine that people would be asking you, like, oh, you still at the music? Is it almost kind of, like, resigned that they're asking you? You're like, are you still plugging away at that? I think people don't know what to ask, which I completely understand, because it would be like me talking to someone about their newborn, which I have to do a lot because I have a nine-to-five job and I work with mothers and fathers. And, you know, I, 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 I've also realised recently that I think I have this affliction, which is maybe a good thing, that I just can't bullshit to people uh, and pretend like I care. So what I do is I just be quiet. So I tend to eat lunch alone. I tend to kind of keep to myself when I'm working. And then when people come up to me and ask me about things, I'll, I'll speak when spoken to. But if I have to initiate a conversation with someone, I'm not going to ask them, how's the kids? Because I don't care if I don't know their kids or if I don't know anything about them. I'm not good at that. However, I will ask them, about things I do know. I'm not a mean, cold person in that way. But anyway, I I think that's the kind of flip reversal of it, that when people don't know what to ask you about music, they'll just say, any gigs soon is right. the one, more so than... I think I think most people know that you're still plugging away at the music, it's almost cliche, but any gigs soon is a common one. And because Tan and Felix are a band who go almost calendar years without playing gigs, it's very funny to be like, no, not doing any gigs at the moment. And people are like... Are you actually in a band? Like, how are you... How is this actually happening? So it's like, well, I'm actually in the studio at the moment, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of... It's a tough one to... Um, it's a tough question to answer, but I tend to just try and answer it quickly and move on. Yeah, just the small talk. Small talk. Yeah, not good with small talk. Um, Does releasing the album... We're talking a couple of days before it's released. Does it actually feel like like the biggest thing that Tandem Felix has done in the however many years you've been together. Does it feel different to what you've done before? Yeah, definitely. I guess there's always been this sort of card-carrying members club, which is the album release club that we've never been a part of, and it's always really frustrated me. Um, Even just in terms of being part of a conversation that people can talk about a band, I think it's very difficult to talk about a band if they don't have a body of music or they play tons and tons of shows or whatever, so it's we we we're, we're not really a, a, an often on the road touring sort of band just i don't know we 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 used to do a lot more of it but i th- i kind of don't really like it and i think more of my prowess lies within the studio so that's kind of how that's transpired but i think for that uh, and in that situation not having an album to point to is was was a little bit limiting to us um, and I'm I'm also an album guy. Like I, I have conversations with my friends all the time about favorite albums, and you know, you know, like the Guardian list, like favorite albums of the twenty um, first century up to this point. I don't know. I feel like music, maybe it's the Spotify era or something, has gone sort of the way of the single, and that's a bit more important now. But I'm still kind of a body of work is 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 way more uh, indicative of what a band is or represents to me than any individual hit song or any particular live gig or any of that sort of stuff i'm always defining the acts i like by career arc and album sort of zoom out terms so to be kind of getting our bones as the mafia saying goes in terms of releasing albums is good and long may continue i kind of we've taken long enough to get to this point i don't know if we're 
we're going to sit around and wait too long to start the next one. We've already kind of, I've started doing, making demos and making vague plans to go into the studio to finish off some of these songs. And there's a lot of leftovers from, from the rom-com sessions as well. So it's kind of going to be, hopefully, a little bit of a snowball. And hopefully we have more and more out that you'll be sick of us in a couple oh, of years. That's exciting. Uh, does Did you actually, like, sit down and talk about, like, are we an album band? Are we actually going to do an album? Like, is it... Is it almost a, you know, like, oh, of course we're going to do that. We'll do that when we're ready. Or is it an actively like, right, lads, we have to release an album. We have to make an album and release it. I think it was probably more of the latter. I think we had never really thought about the album in an achievable way. Or we always thought it was kind of bigger than us that we would. There's no point releasing an album unless it's on Merge Records or unless we are uh headlining electric picnic that year or whatever and it was always a way really psyched myself out uh, way too much and then i sort of looked at the bands in ireland that i r- actually really like who just put out albums you know when they have something to say or when they're doing something new um like you know miles manley or paddy hannah or o emperor or you know Junior Brother, whatever. These are some of my favorite bands in the country. Well, rest in peace, however. But yeah, I always kind of just assumed that we'd EP our way to success. And then once we had a massive budget, we'd be recording our first LP in Abbey Road. And it would just be this kind of idyllic thing. But I, you know, that doesn't really happen anymore, I don't think. Not, not for a rock band anyway, or I don't know, not for... Not in the way the music industry operates now, as as I understand it, but I definitely had kind of put the album or the concept of the album on a massive pedestal when, at the end of the day, it's the EPs that we had done beforehand were pretty much, I kind of had treated them like albums in that I wanted them to have in their own sound and I wanted them to be conceptual and I have a specific emphasis on the artwork and the, the style of music and stuff, which... I think realistically, that's kind of actually not what an EP is in ter- in 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 the grander scheme. It seems like the EP is actually for kind of leftovers or like kind of a, a treat to the fans or whatever. You can, back in the day, you could sell an EP for cheaper than you could what you could sell a, an LP, and uh, it was bonus tracks or live performances or whatever. Whereas Ida was kind of been treating them like albums and putting loads of emphasis on them, but just they weren't long enough, so. We never put them out. And I, it, I have said it to a couple of friends that it's one of my biggest regrets was that our last EP, Comma, um, which was kind of the first thing we did in a country sort of style, and that has kind of it was a big change, and it's kind of um, pushed me down a different road in songwriting where I'm at now. But I wish I just had finished off a couple of more songs and made that out, made made that into an album because I think it would have been a good album. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was three years ago, and I feel like country music is kind of a little bit more back now. So you have me to thank for that. And if only we had an album out, we could really, we could really claim responsibility for that one. Is is it kind of like 
the dreamer idea of starting a band like that's what you were at the start and then kind of just the realist side of the like music industry quote unquote kind of takes over that you're like well, actually we're not going to be the biggest band in the world or something we're not going to headline electric picnic do you realize that kind of early on and kind of adjust your goals accordingly oh, i've never i've never realized that we're still going to be the biggest band in the world and we're still going to headline dream electric big. picnic dream big yeah um yeah, I really don't want this the interview to go down the sort of uh, the music industry fucked us once again uh, sort of thing because... I think we should go down that road. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm definitely, I'm not that sort of person. Like, I think the music industry is for is for some people and it's definitely not for me. And I've never engaged with it enough for myself to have been uh, fucked over by it. Or I don't harbor any of those opinions or whatever, but it's just kind of playing the game is not for me so I do you think that there's two kind of music industries uh i think there's in ireland i think there are zero music industries uh i think people like to pretend there's a massive music industry in ireland but i mean i think for there to be any industry at all there needs to be massive amounts of money i think that's what industry i think you'll if you look at the dictionary definition of industry there's there's some sort of financial or uh, fiscal um, backing there, but there is none. I think Irish people, Irish musicians specifically, like to kind of pretend that there's something bigger happening in this country, but it's maybe a little bit... Um, people kind of look at this the, the, the few acts that kind of get picked out and think that that's because of Ireland, when actually it's... If you look at any band who's... or any artist or any musician or any anything really for it to exist and be financially viable it has to either start outside of ireland or be dragged kicking and screaming to somewhere outside ireland like say musicians who move to new york or berlin or london or something and then reach success there or for like this is obviously a huge outlier but the hosier thing he was plugging away in ireland doing fine and then the song blows up internationally on youtube.com and then that's it's not Irish anymore, it, or it's it's the it exists outside of Ireland, um, but I don't really see. I, I maybe you could prove me wrong. Maybe it's very easy to prove me wrong, and I'm confirming my own bias here. But I don't I don't think I can see an example of a band who've worked their way through the ranks to Ireland, f- from Ireland, graduated to europe and then whatever i don't know if that really works and i think it could happen and it happened definitely in the past i think bands could have made a living or made a modest living by being successful in ireland and then would advance outwards but i don't know if that exists anymore i don't think that's existed for a long time well i guess it's just about kind of sustainability really it's like there used to be money knocking around at the turn of the century like 2000 to 2000 there was loads of money pre pre uh pre-torrenting and everything it does sound like there was a lot of money there and bands could have been made more money maybe more of a living just from ireland but i think now like the sucks a band uh a band success i guess is judged like can they do it overseas like are they like able to make money from doing loads of touring and stuff and i guess like one band that jumps to mind is girl band of course, which is yeah. quite timely we we're talking on the weekend that they've released their second album yep and i think that they're a band who kind of like they figured out their sound in ireland then they you know it really developed over the course of like three or four years and then 
they kind of blew up internationally i guess to a certain level maybe i think i think girl band would almost confirm what i'm saying in that they got to their inverted commas glass ceiling in ireland and i think this is one of the things that i really really applaud them for in in terms of their work ethic and their like the ability they had to to dream big or whatever which was that they went to the uk and they played a tour in maybe 2014 or something way way before the first album came out there was it was small numbers and they played loads of shows and they lost tons of money or they invested tons of money into it sorry they didn't lose anything because it's all come back to them at the end of the day um that's the attitude you should have david and they um they did it again a year later and the next time they went the shows were bigger and then they went back again and the next time they went back the shows were bigger and that had nothing to do with ireland this is this is the point i'm trying to make first time they went over it they grew something outside the country which then rolled downhill to ireland and you know it's the sort of um I think this is almost a cliche at this stage. This comes up all the time on every music podcast. But people in Ireland almost need external validation. We need to see that Pitchfork.com have given the Junior Brother album 8.7 before we listen to it. Uh, Or we need to see that, you know, XYZ band or whatever have gotten some sort of sweet deal, sweet write-up in The Guardian or something before we ever... uh, before we ever give a damn about it which is terrible like it's that's that's not the way i look at things and i i would like to believe that there's a change coming and i do think that irish music listening or irish fandom more so than that's something that exists outside the industry i think i do think that is getting a bit better and i think you can see it from festival lineups there seems to be a lot more irish uh sort of domination on the on the festival lineups and stuff which is great i I was thinking about that just from like a purely environmental point of view it's oh, actually yeah. a really good idea yeah, isn't yeah. it to no promote your own bands yeah. man like the festivals that talk about you know being sustainable by like you know we'll have uh you know different bins to put your different sure, yeah, coffee yeah. cups in that's fine but like you're flying in like 80 90 acts from all over the world yes. it, well <laughs> This is another uh, I avenue. Think fe- I think this is another avenue I didn't uh, really want the uh, interview to go down. But this is capitalist realism, isn't it? This is the <laughs> the distraction that capitalism makes that the festival goer who puts his um, biodegradable plastic beer cup into the um, the compost bin that he is the problem or she is the problem or they are the problem for global warming and climate change, whereas. The festival organizers and the the MCDs and the the whoever's the the, the big massive money movers who are flying. I, I don't know. Why, I was about to say Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks was the first person I could think of as a headliner for a festival. Don't know if Stevie Nicks has headlined a festival in Ireland possibly ever. Give me an example of a band who headlined. The Flaming Lips. The Flaming Lips are flown over to play uh, some gig at Electro Picnic or Forbidden Fruit or something, and they're they're four you know massive tour buses or whatever, absolutely smoke out this. Uh, this one accidental putting your cup in the wrong bin or whatever. And people get so guilty about it. People shouldn't feel guilty about those minor mistakes or not having a bamboo toothbrush. I'm off, Owen. I'm off, Owen. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting... Reel me back in. I wasn't expecting uh, to go down an environmental festival discussion route with you either, yeah. but hey, here we are. It's all—it's the distractions that are made for us to feel guilty about the, 
the small things. <laughs> um, maybe we'll go back to the start of Tandem Felix. When did it actually begin? Did it start out of um, college? And is it just you or Tandem Felix plus friends? Or is it kind of like a, a certain group of people or Tandem Felix? Well, it started off in secondary school. So it's very, very old now. I couldn't even put a year onto it. You're not that old. I am pretty old. I would say it's at least one year old. And we didn't really do a whole lot up until we were legally allowed to play gigs in pubs or whatever. So we kind of so this is before I was even eighteen. So the band the band name has existed for over a decade, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot because we were literal children. And the band lineup has changed, and the sound has changed. And I think where other people would change the band name and kind of start again. I always just liked the name and had an affinity to it. I don't know why that is. It just, I don't know if it's the sort of, it'll look great on a t-shirt when we eventually get around to printing t-shirts or whatever, but I just, I never wanted to have to try and go back into that sort of um, headspace of having to come up with another band name. Because I've been, I've been in those conversations with other friends who are like, here are the names that we are thinking of for a band name. What do you think of this? And everything just sounds terrible. I don't know what it is. When, unless you sit on any of those band names for a month, everything sounds terrible. Uh, it's like just habit. You just start calling yeah. it something for long enough, it sticks. Like, I wonder what people are like when they have a newborn baby that literally is a human being without a name. And then you're like, we have to call this baby Connor now for the next... <laughs> Six months, and then it eventually starts to. Okay, I can now associate the name with this, the small this child. This is the second uh, child anecdote that you've that you've uh, given in I'm the very, first twenty minutes. Very, have you, very have broody. You, yeah. Have you got little baby news to? Yeah, to, to <laughs> it's on your mind. Never, no, no kids. Yeah, I never wanted to kind of have to go down that road again. And I guess there's also maybe something n- nice and innocent about keeping the first band name. Well, it wasn't the first band name I ever had, but keeping the the band name of this particular band going um because as you as you grow into it and as you start to learn things about the aforementioned music industry that doesn't exist and all this sort of stuff you start to do things a bit more cynically and you start to think a bit worse or whatever about everything you do so maybe the fact that the band name is the one th- the one unchangeable that is a good thing like even I'm not I'm not going to name names, but there was a band who were talking about rebranding, and they wanted to come up with a name that was one word, that was something clean and striking, and the example they used was what about like the word white, and I was just like think about that for about ten seconds. You want to call your band white? It's better than slaves. It's better than slaves, but it's not much different to be honest. Um, which is even something like that. I'm not saying that it's oh, it's impossible to pick a band name now because everything's so bloody politically correct. That's the, I'm not saying that at all, but it's just the fact that you have to think about all these things and will this band name work in... I wasn't thinking about that when I picked the name Tan and Felix out of a science book when I was in school. Like That just was two words that sounded nice and I think everything else that I do is so imbued with meaning and I think about so much. It's nice to have something that's actually... It's Latin. It's something. It's something I don't understand. It's a dead language. It's two words. One of them is a bike. One of them is a cat. I'm not even a cat person, even though there's a 
tiger on the rug in the room that we're in. I'm not a cat person at all. Um, it yeah, it kind of makes no sense and doesn't really have a reflection on the music either. Like you, if you were to hear that band name, I don't think you would necessarily hear the music that we make. So kind it's, of, it's kind of like a movable feast sort of thing. It's kind of just a, it's just an, it's just an address or something. You know, it's just a, it's just like a passport number or an IBAN or something. It's, it doesn't really mean anything. It's not. And I think when you're asking the other question of like, what is it? Is it just, a, is it a solo project or is it David and friends? It's kind of it's not it's none of that either really it's kind of a collective uh of of people who play together we don't have any rules on you know people have lives i understand that it's difficult to to give everything to a band and in in the horrible financial straits that people are in these days with the you know housing crisis and stuff i understand that people say have to move away for work so for example connor muldowney the guitarist in town he moved to dingle for about a year and then he moved to scotland he makes he makes beer um and then he moved back to dublin he actually lives just down the road and he work now works in he's a contractor in guinness and he just sent me a message one day saying i'm back in dublin when are we practicing next and i was like you're back in the band you know and that's that's kind of how it works and he he uh, he had to do that not because he didn't not because we fell out not because he hated the music not because he broke his fingers and he couldn't play guitar but because he needed to work and that's something that I understand and we all have those situations and it, it happens as well even with gigs like we have plenty of gigs that we can't turn down because they're too they're too sweet to turn down and maybe gotta some get that that music industry dollar gotta get not even i'm not talking financially i'm talking if someone offers you a gig supporting steve malkmus but you're doing something else <laughs> that day it's very difficult to turn that down because one person can't be there um so you can try and move things around to make it happen or if you have to take a day off work or if you have to miss your you know sister's baby shower or whatever it is none of these things are real also when we supported steve malkmus everyone was there but like we did a gig recently supporting the American band Hopalong in the Button Factory and only three of us could play, so we just played the three of us. And we changed the songs, we picked a specific set list, we played in a certain mood that made sense in that configuration. And, you know, we can we can do that and that's kinda how it works. If 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 someone isn't there we can we can try and make it work. Uh, unless it's me, if I'm not there, the gig won't happen because I sing all the songs. But oh, wow. that's just the way it works. Um, I do remember someone saying that they went to a hardworking class heroes speed sessions, and he was in an act where he could be like the main guy doing it solo. He could be a three piece, or he could be a five piece as well. And the person that he was talking to, like an a music industry expert, was like, "What are you doing? Like, you're not going to get anywhere with that." Oh, Whereas yeah. I, I think it's surely it's the exact opposite, though. You're able to kind of do these different things or have you had the similar kind of like it the industry being explained to you like yeah. you know decide what tandem felix that's, is that's it's either you that's or exactly five. It. It, it it's exactly it and it comes up in pretty much every interview because um i think one of the other issues that people have misunderstanding it is that it's a band name it's not david tapley it's a band name yes there's only one songwriter and the lineup changes from time to time and I play a lot of the instruments in the studio and people just don't like that. 
they want every band to be like the Beatles. Bad example because Paul played the drums on a good few songs. Oh, really? Uh, they want, I don't know, I, I, I was about to say they want the band to be like Radiohead, but also bad example because Tom York played loads of instruments and sometimes there's no drums and all this sort of stuff. The so, Smiths, maybe? The Smiths, or I don't know. Um, I can't think of any good examples. Maybe there are no good examples. Maybe the music industry just needs to cop itself on and let bands identify the way they want to. Um, is it a band? What is? Why is there a band name? Like this, the the good examples I use are bands like Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop is a band headed by Kurt Wagner, and in his own words, he says the band is whoever is around, <laughs> and that's I. There's something so beautiful to that. He isn't restricting people because the alternative is i have to say to four people or three people or however many people i want to be playing these songs i have to say to them you have to be available to me and my whims because i'm the one who writes songs or whatever you have to be available to me and my whims at all times if you're not you're out and also there may be six months where i don't send you a text and nothing happens so that's just not possible unless you are filthy rich and don't have to work a day in your life, which I don't know if, <laughs> if all the other bands who operate this way are, but it's not easy to do when you're in the workforce. It's not possible to do, I don't think, when you're in the workforce, unless you're way more organized and you block book, like we're going to be real busy in these three months, we're going to take loads of time off, we're going to do all this sort of stuff. But I think people beat themselves up and other people beat you up over you know if this person can't play a couple of gigs and it's happened more than once you need to fire them and find somebody who will which is all well and good but are you then going to pay that person because i'm in a situation now where i'm playing with a band who are in it as a band so other people might find it weird but the people i'm playing with aren't like we're session musicians we want uh, to be on union hours and you need to tell us exactly when to turn up and we'll leave and all this sort of stuff. We're, we're doing it as friends and we're doing it for the love of it and if someone, if we have to stay late or if something gets cancelled or whatever, it's not an organisation. It's not a, it's not structured in such a way that it's like school. It kind of, these things have to be fluid, I think, for them to exist in the kind of beginning stages of a career. Um yeah, maybe when you're a session musician touring with Brian Ferry or something and you miss a couple of rehearsals in a row, maybe then you're going to get fired. But that's that's not the, the place that we're at at the moment. And hopefully we'll hopefully we'll reach that someday that I can fire people for being five, 15 minutes late. That's a complete joke. How did the sound develop through like through college and on to comma? It sounds like, um, just from chatting with you before, you've like, quite a good creative circle of friends that kind of like like in college you're part of the trinity orchestra and you're good friends with saint sister and also with um connor who manages saint sister and lots of other people as well is it was it nice kind of meeting them and kind of like y'all being in it together in college yeah college was a huge one for me more so i think one of the things that being in the circle that I was in in college, one of the things that that did was it exposed me to a group that were 
non-musical or non-musicians more importantly not non-musical as such so while the first year that I spent in college I was playing a lot of gigs with Tan and Felix in anywhere we could get we were playing we played gigs in Captain America's you know played gigs for chicken wings and we uh, played all these Trinity events and stuff just for fun we weren't really thinking about it too much and the sound was definitely the kind of what I consider to be like the Mark One or whatever of of the band, which was long instrumental sections, lyrics that were kind of sparkly and sounded nice but didn't really mean a whole lot. Um um the kind of the studio thing was always there. Uh there were more home recordings, but I was definitely those years of being in that in the band definitely helped me to hone like the craft side of it which I do think is very important outside of the kind of meaning and the artistic side of it I do think I put a lot of emphasis on the craft of it hence why you can see in my bookshelf there there's the Steely Dan FAQ and the Sam Allardyce autobiography in then in second year in college I started working in a cafe which was the greatest job I will ever have in my entire life it was um it was a cafe run by students that was non-profit and we made everything as cheap as possible. And when I say cheap, I don't mean inexpensive. I mean, it was real crappy, real cheap. It still exists, so I probably shouldn't be saying this about a currently running business, but um, maybe I just won't say the name of the cafe. And uh, although you can figure it out. So I was hired by Ross Hamer, who is in the band Postcard Versions, who I made a record with, and who was also in the band Jet Setter, and in loads of other bands. I was hired by Kevin Bradnock, writer of the book Tunnel Vision, and I was hired by a bunch of other people who are like the biggest music fans I've ever met in my entire life. And when we worked, we got to pick the music that we listened to. And there was also an extended circle of friends there that were older than me, creatives, big music nerds, big art nerds, very politically tuned in, which is something that I wasn't at the time. So that was hugely important for me at least in terms of kind of knowing my own worth and my own place in, in the world. And then the following year, I got to hire a bunch of people. So the people I then was one rank up in this cafe. So I hired Michael from Spies. I hired um, Morgan from Saint Sister. I'm definitely leaving out a bunch of people who were in bands and stuff. And did you know them beforehand? I didn't know, no. Oh, the okay. first time I ever met Morgan McIntyre was she was sitting in front of a group of us doing an interview talking about her previous work experience in a cafe or whatever. Uh, Michael, I think I'd known a little bit before because I had seen Spies. He was also doing engineering and was a year behind me, so I think he might have chatted to me a little bit about what he was going to do in college or whatever. Oh, yeah, sure. I remember Michael talking about getting his leave and cert results and stuff, so um, I would have known him beforehand. Yeah, uh, there was definitely other people who I'm forgetting now, so please forgive me if you're listening to this. But it was it was this amazing group of of college kids who were in bands, writers, um, music fans, and it just kind of freed me from this group that I was with in engineering uh, in Trinity. That was like no one really was interested in anything except for boozing. Or, like, going on class trips and all that sort of stuff, which I never hugely engaged in. 
and I kind of didn't yeah didn't really feel part of that so then starting working in this cafe was like okay I think I've arrived now and pretty much every single person I worked with in that cafe I still consider to be a close friend even people who've moved the other side of the globe um yeah it's an amazing tight-knit group that uh yeah you you see them at all the gigs at all saint sister gigs and all spies and tanafix gigs the cafe massive turns up and uh yeah rules the roost and so how did the sound kind of change onto comma you kind of talked about how your sound has changed since then mm-hmm. but like what were what were you going for kind of in the run-up to that so i kind of was mentioning that it was it was long slow lots of reverb instrumental sections kind of maybe proggy or something uh and then i think from talking to people like kevin bradnock for sure talking to him about language and meaning and um not even not necessarily in a political sense i remember him talking to me about writing and he was saying that he you know there's some people who write with a, in in a very sort of specific way which is to you know sort of like marxist readings on on literature and stuff like that which is which is definitely important and is all is is, is all well and good but i i kev was talking to me once and one thing that i a phrase i always keep in my head that he was like i i try to capture the beauty in it which is you can write a book like animal farm that's just the first like politically imbued book that comes to my head or you can write something like i don't know um like the big sam autobiography for example or no so you know you can write something beautiful that is uh like kev's book kev's book is an amazing uh performance of of language um he'd probably kill me for using the word performance that's probably not correct or whatever um utilization of language i don't know but that that sort of stuff became very important to me then um I I I I done it somewhat unintentionally before, but it was definitely a lot more aesthetic, using words like bones and stars and talking about the sea and stuff like that, which is all bullshit. Like I don't look at the stars. I don't really ever think about my bones, or I don't swim that much. So like I don't know why I was writing about floating down the river or any of that sort of stuff. I then started to think about oh I can use this language to actually portray something which is way more important which is like my actual thoughts or my actual goings on in my life so I started writing about being I started being way more honest to myself and I think along with that I wanted the music to maybe be a bit more honest so when we started doing comma I had a rule which I think we only broke once which was no reverb I didn't want anything to have reverb because I wanted everything. I wanted an acoustic guitar to sound like it was an acoustic guitar. I wanted the drum kit to sound like it was a drum kit. Not a drum kit in a cathedral or not an acoustic guitar through a spring reverb. I wanted everything to sound like a band playing in front of you in a bar or something like that. Some room like that. Because the lyrics were that honest and there was no real mixed metaphors and I think that's kind of pervaded through with rom-com. I think there's similarly honest lyrics and there's, there's, it, there's, it, there's a greater emphasis on like storytelling more so than poetry. Um, but I think with, I guess with rom-com, we kind of threw the no reverb rule, the, uh, the no synthesizer rule or whatever out of the window and we kind of 
got had a bit more fun with kind of playing with sounds and stuff which is it it, it i think you kind of have to balance everything um and that's kind of how we arrived at that so i probably maybe answered the next question which is how do we arrive at the, the rom-com sort of sound well i was i was actually gonna ask is actually developing honesty in your sound in your songwriting is it just through trial and error is it just through doing it again and again and again that you actually arrive at this honesty that you're talking about no i think it was more thinking about it like you can actively do it if you try i think it was an attitude thing i changed my attitude towards art in like head over heels i think when whereas before i was obsessed with aesthetics and musical equipment I'd listen to things and be like, oh my God, what instrument, what pedal is that? And then I quickly realized that that is boring and not important in the grand scheme of things. I I think if you want to make a piece of music that's going to be remembered, no one cares if you're using a Boss DS1 or a Boss DS2. What they care about is, well, he was singing about a really tough breakup at this point, or he was singing about depression, or he was singing about being stuck in a situation in life that he can't get out of or something like that no one cares about what symbols the drummer has as long as they sound okay it's fine it's always going to be music nerds who care though yeah but those people are music nerds they're not artists and i think i think that is something that was a massive change for me which was that i would have had hour-long conversations two hour-long conversations about guitars about is that a Japanese or a Mexican Stratocaster? Is that is that pedal true bypass, bro? The real guitar nerds will get that joke. Whereas my conversations quickly changed to talking to people about like, are you religious or you know, are you okay at the moment? Oh, okay. You know, like hearing things in the songs that weren't the guitar riff or weren't the the compression on the drums. It was more like, what are you saying here? In the same way that if someone is talking to you about a really hard thing that's going on in their life, you're not going to turn to them and go, are they Adidas you're wearing? You're going to ask them, like, are you okay? How do you feel right now? Have you talked to anyone about this? There are so many greater things to talk about in music than the aesthetic purposes of sound, which I grew out of pretty quickly, I think. And... I think it's something that maybe I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about when I kind of look at other bands and they haven't, maybe new bands don't get out of that as quick. As in they focus more on the on the stuff rather than the the content? Yes, I think so. Without naming names? No, without naming names. Yeah. I, can name, I can name examples of people who have absolutely nailed it out of the park first time around. So like Junior Brother, for example, the first time I saw him, was at a gig or was it a music video i'm not sure but it was he was singing about being hung over at mass the song which is simultaneously hilarious and shiver inducing and all it is is a tambourine and acoustic guitar and that's it and i have never even noticed what brand of acoustic guitar he's playing i haven't gone up and been like oh dude is that a gretsch tambourine or what mic are you using with that that's none of that's important and i think he knows that he puts the the aesthetic work that he puts on is he puts into his art direction and his he sings with his accent and he he sings about alcohol and religion and art ireland ostensibly um <laughs> ireland is alcohol and religion at the end of the day 
which is also my favorite Oasis song, alcohol and religion and alcohol. So he's someone who straight away, like it, it took me about 30 seconds to make up my mind that I loved this guy because he was just doing everything that I wish I had done way sooner in my musical, in my musical life. Um, and now to name the people who don't do it correctly. <laughs> no, next question. <laughs> um, earlier, you kind of lamented the fact that you weren't really doing the country sound anymore that you were doing on, on Comma. Why can't you kind of do it again? Why can't you just kind of like go back into it? Or is it just like you've grown and developed and it's hard to go back to that time and sensibility? I don't think I... I don't think I'm lamenting not doing it too much. I do think there's definitely huge country elements on the new record. Um, I think it was that you said that like I, you, I, you I, wish I, that you could have had like another two or three songs. I think I just period. wish I had turned that EP into an album just so that there was more of a touchstone of this was when oh, okay. Town Figs were doing their country thing in its fullest. Like I'm saying, the only acoustic instruments, no reverb, band in a bar, sort of Neil Young sound. Whereas now... We've moved on from that just in terms of like, it was very tough to do. It was very tough to make the song sound unique in in their own sort of way without um, using any kind of extraordinary sounds or whatever. But maybe, yeah, maybe in the future, maybe there'll be um, the country classics record in, in 10 years. There's no reason to believe that we can't go back there. But I do think there's definite country elements in in the new album that have, even in the the less obvious songs, I think bits have snuck in there. Like there's a lot of pedal steel on the record that I've been playing. There's violin and I, I don't know, I think I kind of sing in a country drawl now more so than I did before. Um, it gets pointed out to me a lot. I think it, maybe it's an unintentional thing that has seeped in from listening to lots of country records or whatever. Is country cool? Is country cool? Yeah, is a country cool again? I like, think so. It's big in America. But it only seems mm. like it's ever going to be big. I in don't America. know if the right country is big in yeah, America. Little, I think little Nas X. That is the right country. I I love Little Nas X. Um, have you seen the video for Little Nas X? With like I, I haven't even heard the song. Yeah. How I, have you not heard the song? But because it's so easy to avoid anything nowadays, because you just go into your own bubble and stuff, and it's like only if you go actively go outside the bubble, you're going to hear different things. Do you not I have think. a radio on in work or anything? Uh, no, no. Work in silence. I pick the radio I that silence. I want to listen to. The only radio I listen to is Six Music, so yeah. they're never going to play it. I, they could. I mean, it's it's ubiquitous. I have to stress, you should listen to it. It's a really good song. I know of it, but it's so easy to like know of everything and like never actually like consume that art. You know, like mm-hmm. the new Mar- Margaret Atwood book. You could easily find out everything about it yes. without actually reading it. I have never... There's a couple of sounds of the summer that I'm very proud of never hearing. So, for example, I've never heard Billie Eilish. I've never heard... Not that Billie Eilish is bad. I don't know <laughs> what she's like, but I, I just love the fact that it's so huge and I've never heard it. I've never heard Julipa. I've never heard... Um, what was the other one? Uh, thank You Next. I've never heard Thank You Next by Ariana Grande, but I've heard people say you're Thank missing You out on, Next. You're, you're missing out on all of these pop bangers. You're a little, missing out on Lil Nas X, <laughs> which is great. But anyway, the popularity of country music in America, I think, tends to be a bit more like um, Keith Urban, <laughs> sort of like uh, bros singing about the military. Wow, and I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah, I was just thinking about, what's the song? Did he do the song with um, Nelly? 
Because it's all in my head. Is that Keith Urban? Uh, I, c- I think about say. it over and no, over again. Um, yeah, those, those sorts of like, the kind of Garth Brooks offshoots or whatever. Whereas the country music that I consider to be, when you ask, is country cool? I mean, just take one look at Waylon Jennings or take a look at any of those guys from that period who were the outlaws. Chris Christopherson, for example, is possibly one of the coolest men on the planet. So yeah, that stuff is very cool. I think there's a there's a bit of a rejuvenation in terms of the the kids. You know, I think you've got people like Kevin Morby and stuff, or even um, I, I can't think off the top of my head now. But there's I I think those sort of maybe more Wilco inspired country musicians. I think that's happening. I don't know if that was necessarily happening when I was listening to country first, and I maybe wish i that's maybe why i i wish i had made more of a thing about comma and made it into an album because i'd like to be able to brag that it was ahead of its time or something but but maybe not maybe i'm always two steps behind but you have made an album that i presume you're quite proud of very proud of yeah 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 it's taken us so long to do and towards the end i wasn't sick of it which i think really (laughs) really um is the, the the true test how do you know when the album is finished? Is it just like I've had enough of this? Get it out of my, get it off my computer and like into people's ears. Like I can't do any more to it. Um, like, I th- or could you just like work away forever on it? No, definitely not. No, I think we reached a point which was was fairly definitive. Must be such a nice feeling. It's a very nice feeling. I can't think of what the indicators are. I think we just listen. So my set when I say we, I'm referring to myself and Stephen Dunn. Um, who engineered and mixed the record with me. Um, and, I mean, you could pretty much call him the producer as well. He he, he was, a, was a real director in that sort of situation. Um, I think it just got to the point that we would be sitting in front of a pair of speakers in a studio or at home. We lived together for three years and we'd kind of just not be able to think of anything. We'd be like, that. that's... That seems like a song that seems there. Whereas when you're at the beginning of the process, you can see the strings, you can see all the seams. Things don't actually sound as good as they could. He would come at it from a very technical point of view sometimes and say there's way too much low mid content or whatever in in engineer speak. And then he'd also come at it from very abstract points of view saying uh, things like when I close my eyes, and hear the song your head needs to be bigger or it needs to fall out of the speakers more and then we kind of have to try and turn that gibberish into into some sort of technical thing that you do on a computer on pro tools or whatever which is generally just making small tweaks to certain things that don't sound right or maybe there needs to be some editing that's done maybe if something doesn't fit right it's because something's slightly out of tune you might have to re-record something or takes a lot, uh, sometimes it takes a long time to reveal problems um in a mix i guess this is probably could we could go into an entirely separate podcast interview um about the kind of how we make records because it's it we have a, a, a pretty uh symbiotic sort of way of working together that we um we started working with other people now myself and steven as a kind of a, a duo production engineering duo so we're making a record at the moment uh with someone not allowed to say i probably can 
It's okay. You it's don't one have of it's you stopped yourself there so abruptly. I was like, like oh, I assume he's telling people that he's making a record. Anyway, a friend of ours is making a record. You can tell me. And uh, I'll tell you, yeah, off the record. And uh, this person was commenting how Stephen and I almost don't speak to each other when we're working, but we can just be like grunting or start a sentence and don't even need to finish it because we've got this language of communication which we're both kind of thinking the same thing at the same time and if i'm telling Stephen to maybe he should try and open up this thing i'll just sort of indicate in some way with a wink of the eye or a, a little uh nod and and uh the person we were working with was like it's weird you're just like you're like two pieces of the same equipment or whatever working together that's just has this strange communication systems um which is funny. I'd like to see what we look like because I feel like I'm expressing myself fully, but maybe it's maybe there's some sort of juju in the air that we uh, that we have going between us. I'll ask kind of like a mega question now about the album because I have a few things I wanted to ask. First of all, like just looking through the songs, you might think that it's quite a political album. How did my life become this? Uh, Mother Teresa, the Butcher of Albania. Yep. Yeah. I can't see the last words. Parts so one and two. Sure. I sold my soul to the devil as well is the uh, in parentheses of another uh, song on the album. I don't think it is a particularly Oil um, Money political as well. You're album. forgetting maybe the most politically uh, juicy. Oh, Oil Money. Yeah. And, and also, uh, do you write as I, like, or as a character? Like, are they all characters in the song? Just because I was thinking, like, the country tinges kind of suggest that it is um you know characters that you're embodying rather than like yourself and your own opinions that's my mega question yeah it's a lot of questions um you can choose to dismiss them all or is it a political album is that one of the questions yeah yes in such that everything is political that's something that uh kevin brannock was I think to a certain extent, yes, there is. I mean, you, I mean, people can read things in whatever way they want. I'll give a, a fairly inside baseball example and say that the song "Oil Money," which funny song title, obviously, um, we were shooting music video for it recently, and uh, we were filming some stuff on the beach, trying to make it look like a desert. And a woman um, who was swimming, she came out of the water and was talking to us about um, what we were doing because we, we just looked like we were doing weird digging and we had loads of oil cans and stuff and people probably thought we were trying to hide a body or whatever and she was like, what is the song called? And I said, uh, it's called Oil Money. And she said, oh, very topical. And I was like, you have absolutely no idea how untopical this song is. It has absolutely nothing to do with uh, oil trade. It has nothing to do with America or the Middle East or anything like that it more so has to do with losing your mind for whatever reason uh, going through a really tough depressive time and I guess in the situation I was in when I was writing this song I was drinking loads and worrying about money probably because I spent loads of money on drinking and wasn't getting paid enough for the job that I do and I think what I was doing at the time was thinking if only I could just be rich 
and take that one big worry out of my life. I'd be all right then, wouldn't I? Question mark. If I just didn't have to worry about money, that means I could quit my job, which means I'd have loads of free time to work on music and be sane again. It means if I had loads of free time, I probably wouldn't drink as much because I'd be so fulfilled in my in my life. Isn't that, isn't that right? You know, I'd be able to be a better boyfriend, be a better brother and a better son and a better uh, uh, friend and all this sort of stuff. If I only didn't have to worry about money. So it actually has nothing to do with oil, but just, I guess, oil. Uh, the phrase oil money is obviously thrown around a lot in the football world, so I love it so much. It kind of, yeah, so it has nothing to do about oil, but I guess to answer this, maybe the second question, I do, I guess, portray this character in the song, which is that, is having that belief. I mean, I held that belief for maybe a hot minute when I was like, if only I could be rich, I'd be fine. But I guess the character in the song is really bogged down about it. And it's like, I just need to do something that will get money. Because if I don't have money, I can't be happy. And drinks and drinks and drinks until he completely loses it, strikes oil, and then is rich and throws away all of his problems and dances until his feet are sore. And that's it. He lives happily ever after, which is obviously nonsense. None of that is true. Like that's that financial issues are huge or whatever. And I, I don't mean to belittle people who have them and say that that's not your only worry, folks, because um, it's it's it, it is huge. But I guess in the position where I was when I was thinking about that sort of stuff, there were so many other things going on uh, in my life at that time. That money would have made a very minor change. But the character in the song doesn't know that. Maybe I didn't know that either, but I do now. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier that um, you're not a huge fan of playing live. Do you have plans to... Or So why aren't you a big fan of playing live? And do you have any plans for, for touring the album this year or later or next year? Yeah, we're working on a tour at the moment. So we're going to do a small Irish tour and then see where it takes us from there. Probably do all the, uh do kind of all the the Irish shows in the November December maybe January then maybe chill out for a while might go grab back to the studio finish the record I'm working on with unnamed um person and have some plans to start working on record number 2 as well just to kind of get the wheels in motion for that and then maybe middle Say a quarter two of next year, Q two of next year might look to do a couple more shows again, just to kind of keep it ticking over. Um, and to answer the question, why do I not like it? It is because it is a necessary evil, which is uh, like I'm saying in in this specific sentence. We're doing gigs to keep things ticking over. It's great for selling records. It's great for being able to put yourself out there. But I like I don't don't like it because of a number of reasons one i'm not a big fan of crowds uh especially not if you're the center of attention especially if you are sorry especially if you are the center of attention which you would be at a gig that you're organizing it would be very rude for me to sit backstage and not do anything until we went on stage but if i could do that i would number two i don't think live gigs sound as good as records ever i don't think they ever have ever will Except if your record maybe sounds specifically kind of murky or something. And then when you see a band play live, they 
bring something new to it or something. I don't know. But at least for 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 Tandem Felix, I put so much emphasis on absolutely every element of the of the recorded version. I think the only way that it would come across like that or as impressive as that would be if we used backing tracks, which I am absolutely one hundred percent against. Cut, smash cut to ten years when we're <laughs> using backing tracks on everything. Uh, and what else? They're very stressful to organize. And well, I was, I was going to say like the mental health aspect yeah. of it. I guess probably. Yeah, it's it. That's the, I. I get myself into a. I get myself into a bit of a tizzy over any sort of organizational uh, responsibilities. But that yeah, that is a huge one. There's it's it's just so difficult to do. It. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with the details of it, but that is one of those jobs I would love to not have to do. So any booking agents listening to this podcast, please send me an email, tanafix.ie forward slash contact. Yeah, maybe maybe if the gigs were just presented to me on a golden platter, I'd just turn up and do them. But no, they're very difficult to do. And the same with like the band are all working full time jobs and stuff. So it's that is also a huge kind of ask for people to come and uh, take time off their out of their busy lives to to do that sort of stuff. There are con- there are pros. They're very fun, and it's nice to see people you haven't seen in a long time. Then again, at the same time, it's like some of my friends have to pay to see me play and stuff. I don't know how hard I feel about that. The financial aspects of it, again, in this really messed up country we're in at the moment, it's like you kind of have to charge over ten euro for someone to come see you. But it's like I don't know how comfortable I feel about asking my friends to come along to those sorts of gigs. If I had infinite guest list, I would just the punters paying i don't know i don't know if there's is there's a correct way to to kind of do that and then having said that i'm probably undervaluing my own uh labor so i was there. just gonna say like you know you've got to put a price on art sort of thing you do yeah absolutely i mean if, if if people are going to take you seriously you got you have to do it um and there's obviously the whole aspect of paying for free playing for free which is another um huge issue that i have in the irish music industry in the irish non-music industry irish music non-industry um yeah which again is almost another podcast episode um i've gotten in trouble for my expressing my beliefs on this before so i'll do it again i think it's wrong and i think that musicians that play for free are selling out other musicians and devaluing everyone else's work and there should be should be unionized uh but it's very hard to diff- to organize that sort of stuff because I think a lot of people are kind of comfortable with just tipping away and don't mind playing for free because they can. Yeah, they kind of, I don't know, people offset it with other things. Like I have a job or whatever to fund music, but I don't, I, I do pay for a lot of things. You know, I have to pay to print records, I have to pay to travel. But the one thing it's de- it's I'm, I'm going to make sure is going to happen is that it's definitely going to cost someone for us to turn up and play even if you don't even if we break even or make a loss someone has to pay for it um because if they don't that means attitudes will change slowly and they have done i mean i'm sure you can look at support slot fees probably i'm sure support bands were getting paid 50 quid back in 2001 and you know there's still not much it's still around that or whatever for, for certain gigs 50 100 euro or whatever um but i guess you could say the same about wages wages haven't increased uh, or the average wage is still the same as when like i think the average wage in 1979 is the same as it what is now corrected for um inflation or whatever which is insane 
because we've surely we've advanced <laughs> as human beings and as a society. But anyway, that stuff, I guess, all kind of uh, is is also characterized in the music non-industry in Ireland. Um, so yeah, don't do it. Don't pay for free. And and rat people out as well. If if people are um, trying to get you to play for free, rat them out because it needs to be transparent. And that is what a union would be would do for you. And that's all I have to say about <laughs> that. <laughs> do you have goals for romcom? Like certain things that you want to hit, and what would kind of success for it look like? Or have you thought about it? Definitely reframed it. There was a point where I like I was saying, even putting off the release of it until we could find someone to release it for us and now we're self-releasing it paying for it out of pocket but i guess the good thing is there we we own 100 percent of it and it's 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 ours and we split it what are the goals for it i'm not sure i haven't been able to really intellectualize what i feel about success in general let alone for one specific um release or milestone or whatever i can only say that i hope more than anything financially or more than anything in terms of gigs or numbers or whatever i just hope people like it i think that's success to me i would much prefer to be a yola tango critical darling than be i don't know someone playing a much bigger stage with much patchier reviews (laughs) i guess um I yeah I I I just want people to like it, and that's kind of success to me. How to measure how people like it? I don't know. Do I have to put all my emphasis on whether the Irish Times gives it a four out of five or whatever? Not necessarily. Or do I have to worry about whether it wins the Choice Awards or whatever? Not necessarily, because again, all of those things are accolades that I have no I have no control over. Yeah, so I don't know. I I don't know how to. I don't know how to make metrics in general about this band, and maybe that's why I'm not famous yet. Yeah. <laughs> yet the plan. Yet. Yeah, I don't know. You told me you liked it. That's that's a success. I don't just like it. I love it. Oh really? Yeah. I'll put that out you there. You were doing right a now. bit of the Simon Cowell there. I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. It's a thumbs up for me. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just, I hope, the, the, like I, 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 I think I make music for myself and my friends to listen to. So as long as my friends like it, that's a huge thing for me. I would hate to, I'd hate to think that people were plumassing me. <laughs> but would your would your friends tell you actually I don't like it at all? Oh yeah, yeah, and oh, okay. and there there has been that already with um someone in the past couple of weeks who was like I don't like your singles and I was like thank you, <laughs> <laughs> um wait till you hear the rest of the record it'll tie lo- it'll tie the room together, um no yeah we we're, we have a very honest um circle of friends that I'm in, and uh, especially around stuff that we create, so yeah. I'd I'd be I'd be let down if it was pants. Oh hello, it's me again. Hope you enjoyed that chat. Uh we continued talking for another fifteen or twenty minutes, but I thought I might call it there. And uh yeah, hopefully the 
chat made you want to rush out and order rom-com you can get a 12 inch vinyl copy i think it's going to be delivered maybe at the start of november uh i think it's worth it because the artwork just looks so good uh, i can't wait to get my hands on it as i said at the top of the show they've got three gigs coming up across uh ireland in the next month or so they're going to be playing in the Kino in Cork Ulster Sports Club with Arborist and the Bellabar in Dublin as well so definitely go check out Tandem Felix and listen to the album on Spotify or on Bandcamp or however you can because it's definitely worth your time um you won't want to stop listening to it maybe let's fade out now with another track from it this is the opener it's called Nightclub I Sold My Soul to the Devil a night in the city with the washed up and their offspring so confused in the upstairs tied to the nightclub by the laces of my boots i'm with a friend now and he's hung up by
devil 